I'm Keith, by the way, if, this is, if I haven't met you yet, if this is one of your first times here, uh, or if uh, you were here last week, because I was not. And if you've been around a while, that doesn't happen too often. Um, our, our pastoral team, it's um, me and Sabrina and Dwayne, uh, they kicked me out uh, because I wasn't going to be teaching, and they were like, you need to get away. And so Bethany and I did. We got away for a weekend, which we realized was the first time actually a weekend, actual weekend getaway for... <laughs> Too many years, um, just in terms of some silence and space. Uh, I'm not a workaholic, uh, but our lives don't often open a weekend for obvious reasons. Uh, but we went up to the Poconos for, um, for three nights because it was a holiday weekend, so the kids didn't have school. Um, so we dropped those, them off uh, with Bethany's parents, and they had a great time. And we went up to the Poconos and spent three nights at this beautiful bed and breakfast. And we did all sorts of things. Uh, almost with no agenda. We didn't do much research. We went to some parks. We mountain biked a bit. We hiked a bit. We, can, we kayaked a bit. We ate a lot. Um, and, uh, and in the midst of this, though, the one thing that we had found early was that Bethany had found online uh, that there was this, this woman who had, she was an artist, and she had spent um, five years, uh, let's see, there we go, five years building a labyrinth. And we, we use prayer labyrinths from time to time here at Life Path during certain events. A prayer labyrinth is a, a dedicated path for prayerful or mindful walking, okay? And so um, it emerged, uh, gosh, probably over a thousand years ago now, almost, maybe 800 years ago, um, within the Catholic Church and other, and other Orthodox traditions as a contemplative opportunity um, to connect with God. So you walk a labyrinth. And as you walk, you consider your own life and you consider your faith and the turns um, become opportunities for you to hear from God. All of these different ways become opportunities to just hear from God. It's just one more way to engage creatively in prayer. And, uh, and so this woman spent five years building this thing. Super eccentric art, artistic woman. Um, she's really fun. Uh, but uh, so, so it's on her property. So we, we went at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning while you were getting ready to come here and gather. We were out here, and um, this thing is not small. I don't know if you can, uh, can see the scale with, like, uh, with the, the chair up there, but it's a half mile to walk to the center. Even though the whole thing, um, you know, to go from one end to another is like from Kim to me in the back here. This is the whole circle is just that big. But it takes a half mile to walk to the center, and then you reverse and walk back. And, and uh, it was built on a hillside, so half of the time you're walking uphill, half the time you're walking downhill, and a half-mile thing um, that's natural like this had all sorts of native plants that were planted. Some, some were flowering at some points. There were thorn bushes that were planted along the way. Very, I, we don't know, Bethany and I didn't talk about this, so we didn't know how intentional any of this was. All we knew was that there was a whole lot of metaphor and a whole lot of symbolism as we walked along the way. And of course, some of the path was um, very beautiful and well-maintained. I did not um, bring a drone and take that first picture. Uh, she shared that with us, the, the artist. But this, this I did take. Um, so you can see that, that some parts of the path are, are very clear and well, um, you know, the, the mulch is really thick and it's beautiful. Others, you can start to see some of the, uh, the, uh, the cloth, the garden cloth started to pop through and there were weeds along the way. So I'm walking along and I I'm far too easily distracted, so I didn't have my phone. Um, but I went back later after, after we were complete and took a couple of pic uh, pictures. But I'm walking along, 
And do you see anything that pops out in this picture? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just turned that off. There we go. Um, in the bottom there, there's a shovel. So when we arrived, it was 8 o'clock in the morning, and this, this artist, she was already working in there, and she was, I, I guess, doing some weeding. And when we came, she got up and came over to us. And whether she left the shovel there on purpose or not, I don't know. All I know is that I'm walking along about three or four minutes in, thinking about my own journey and my own spiritual path with Jesus on this beautiful path that's made for me. And then I see a shovel right here that's still wet with dirt in the morning. And, and I just sit there, and, and I began thinking about the reality of the paths that we walk with Jesus. And so much of our faith journey is given. It's provided. We just get to walk it. It's a gift, right? We believe that Jesus has come and cleared the way, has clarified what, what God's heart and character actually look like. We believe that there has been forgiveness once and for all, that we have freedom. And so we simply walk in that with absolutely nothing demanded of us. And, to be honest, within church community, there's paths that we create that you can walk in, right? You can come in on a Sunday morning and receive some things that have been prepared for you. We have compassion teams for you to join right into. We have um, events for service, for study, things like that that happen. So, so the path that we walk as we walk in faith is often partially it's given to us. And, and I didn't make this, this labyrinth. I didn't make the path that I was walking as I was contemplating this, this journey. But then I saw the shovel, and I began to think about all of the ways that even... even that it's great that we simply get to walk and receive a path that many have done before and that often is, is given freely. Um, if it stops there, something's missing, right? This is where the shovel comes in. Disciples of Jesus are many, many things, but one thing that they are not is consumers. Uh, one thing they are not is simply attenders. One thing that they are not is, is just recipients. A learner, the Greek word methetes, a disciple, it means one who actively learns, who, who is a student, an active student, um, a participant in God's unfolding salvation. So as we walk the path that's been given to us as people, we are called to participate in its cultivation as well. So we have been given a path that Jesus has led us on. And yet at the exact same time, I put this in my back pocket, and then I sat down, and it went backwards. There we go. And at the exact same time, if we do not cultivate that path, there's something that we miss out on. You know, I was walking along, and you see these boulders? Like I said, it was a hillside, and, and one of them, they were just like this big. One of them had rolled into the middle of the path, and I'm thinking about this, and so I just kind of stood there symbolically, right? And I looked at this thing, and I leaned down, and I put it back. <laughs> I moved it to the edge of the path, and I thought about our own calling to be cultivators of our faith journey and how important it is, but also how incredibly beautiful and freeing it is that we get to participate. Um, in Matthew uh, 11, one of the most central and both well-known passages overall of statements of Jesus, but also to us as a church, um, he says in chapter 11, verse 28, and he, he's talking to his disciples, and he's, and he's talking specifically um, he's inviting people to come to him when the impossible burden of religious duty and life's weight just feels like too much. So when this whole burden, when this whole idea of it's, it's just too impossible, the Jewish people were called to follow so many laws, there was a rigidity, there was an exclusion, 
that was a trademark of, of the contemporary religion of Jesus' time and what it, what it had become. And Jesus takes a step back and he speaks into that. But what he says, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Beautiful statement, period. There's a period there. Come to me and I will give you rest. But the whole statement doesn't end there. He continues to go on and he doesn't just say, just sit there and I will take care of everything. What he says is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the really cool thing about a yoke and what yoke means is that Jesus was playing with a double meaning here. The first one is a yoke was um, an adjoining apparatus for farming that held two oxen together, okay? And what that would do was it would help the oxen move at the same pace, all right? And what would happen is when you would get a young oxen, and if you've heard this before, let it just sink in fresh again. When you would get a young oxen as a farmer, it would not know how, it wouldn't have the strength to do the work, but it also wouldn't know how to find a rhythm. And so what they would do is they would yoke, they would take this, this wooden connector, and they would put it around the shoulders of a stronger oxen and a younger, weaker oxen. And then the stronger oxen that both could carry the weight, but also had the rhythm that was sustainable to get the work done, they would lead the way and the younger one would follow along. It would learn the rhythm, but it would not bear the burden. Okay? Super cool. Second super cool thing about this story is that a yoke, the word yoke in Hebrew, is the same word that was used to categorize a rabbi's teaching. So Jesus says, take my yoke, my teaching, my interpretation, okay, of the scripture, my interpretation of God. Take that my yoke upon you, and you will find that it is not burdensome, but you don't just sit there. You do something with it. Eugene Peterson, um, the late Eugene Peterson, great writer on spiritual formation and uh, excellent Hebrew scholar, um, translated the Bible into a paraphrase called The Message. And in his paraphrase, what he says on that one passage, he, says, is, he paraphrases it like this, walk with me and work with me that take my yoke upon you. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Friends, here's the thing. We force a ton of rhythms. We're about to talk about rhythms for like a long time. Okay? I don't know the last time we had an 11-week-long conversation, but it's going to take us all the way to Advent. And if that sounds terrifying to you, me too. Christmas should not be that soon. But, but we're going to, for a number of weeks, we are going to talk about intentional rhythms for growth. But it only works, especially in our church. Like, you all know how much baggage you carry? It's far too much for me to bear, that's for sure. Uh, Jesus is the only one that can bear, because I've got my own. Jesus is the only one that can bear our bad religion baggage, our church baggage. Jesus is the only one that can bear all of the things where every single time we talk about something, it's like, oh, is this more have-to stuff? Because I have been belittled and pushed down and never been able to live up over and over again to the things that I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And so this only works, the conversation we're about to have, this only works if we understand that when Jesus says, come and get yoked to me, I'm going to lead you towards something really beautiful and it's going to involve your own participation, but not in a burdensome way, but in an intentional way. All right? So... So that is, that's, that's beauty. There's effort, but it's not burdensome. So I, I want us to think about it in terms of intentionality for these coming weeks. How many things do you do each day 
that are intentional, that help you move toward fuller life and deeper love, that are absolutely intentional, that you say, I am doing this today because it moves me toward fullness of life and a a deeper depth of love. That's not real common, yo, at all, which is slightly problematic and alarming, that we may go through our days not actually being intentional about practices that move us toward the exact type of life that we want to live. (laughs) And sometimes we do this. Sometimes we do it. You know, we find rhythms that are really, really helpful. But often, we just don't give the time and energy because life is so busy. So unless we learn and reflect and put in intentional practices, we may actually miss out on not, not the things you should do, but a gift that you might be able to receive. Um, we want you to learn unforced rhythms of God's grace during these weeks that lead to a deeper life with Jesus. Um, so, I, I, I'm hitting this really, really hard because as we walk forward, I need you and we need you to understand that we cannot live under new practices with the reality of these suffocating expectations and burdens of all the things that you should do, right? People shooting all of you. And sometimes you should all, all of yourself. A little too much, right? There's so much of that. And so if that causes within you a pendulum response when we begin talking about healthy practices and rhythms to begin to integrate into our lives, if that causes the pendulum to swing and make you shout, like, I don't have to earn my value in God's eyes. Uh, I don't have to constantly feel like I'm good enough. God's grace and love communicates inherent value to me. You are so right. Like, completely. But the whole story is there's more gifts out there to receive. There's more connection, there's more purpose, there's more joy and fulfillment and depth. And if you choose to walk paths of grace and intentionality in new ways, you will experience that. Uh, We believe that. Uh, In the Jesus way of life, when we intentionally lean into certain practices, what could look like a burden actually becomes a gift. What might seem like effort leads to newfound freedom. Um, much like I just told you about this, this weekend away with, with Bethany. Like, I didn't need to have a weekend away with Bethany to, like, for our marriage to continue to be real, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't our, our marriage would have been real had I been here last Sunday, had we gone home on Sunday afternoon. Like, there's, that's, that's not the issue. Like, so, so I didn't become more married because of it. But what it did, right, was it opened the door to depth and laughter and conversations that we hadn't had enough of lately. Um, So there was new depth and health and delight and purpose that emerged in our relationship in new ways because of that. So intention, and and it required intentionality. We had to plan. We had to, you know, so so intentionality does not need to be burdensome. And I really want us, I I know this is hitting it ad nauseum. I, I want us to understand that as we talk about these things, there is such hope in life. Okay, so that's the introduction. All right, so 11 weeks I just mentioned. Uh, did people get booklets yet? I don't think they did. Okay, can you help us? Thank you, Jody. Um, and if someone else wants to help too. We have these wonderful little booklets. And you know, if, if you know us a lot, this is a big deal. We're handing out a booklet. Goodness. Um, this is getting serious. So what it is, is it's 11 pages of some of the practices that we are going to be looking into and um, some of the pathways. And the whole goal of a pathway is it leads you to Jesus, not that it in and of itself is great. So some of these you're going to look at, say, seriously, we're talking about this, or that sounds old and boring. 
uh, and other things might sound uh, fresh, and some things might be horribly triggering. Guess what? In four weeks, we're talking about the practice of submission. <laughs> and some of you are like, yeah, I'm not coming, not coming that week. <laughs> however, how, yeah, there it is. There's a difference when you're talking about mutual submission to one another in love versus power dynamics that let one gender have control over another. Um, or, uh, or any number of, of things. So we're, we're trying to redefine beautiful, healthy practices, okay? So, um, but here's the cool thing uh, with, with some of these things. We want you to embrace them all. Uh, last week, Sabrina, Sabrina talked about how we ca- often have these, these temptations to think that there's only one right way to be a disciple of Jesus, and it has to look the same. And we spend our whole lives trying to figure out, is this, is this the right way? And in reality, as we all experience and, and move toward Jesus, we're going to express that love and that justice and that care in all sorts of different ways. And your personality is a crucial part of that. And that's great. And we hold to that with this whole journey. However, within that, we believe that your personality might be impacted by any number of these things. So we don't want you to be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not the contemplative type. So I'll just skip that one because it doesn't really connect. This is a great opportunity for you to find the gift that you might not have had a chance to receive. And it might not be the way that you thrive the most, but it might open a pathway to a new fresh connection with God in some way, okay? So, so I, we, we don't want you to, to, I don't want you to look ahead too much, first of all, but I know you're all gonna. Um, and then I don't want you to, um, to just say, well, I'm not really up for that. We are planning on reframing a lot of these in fresh ways. Um, to help us look into the scriptures and see how Jesus leads us. So don't let it kick up anxiety if you see something. These are not going to be ill-fitting on you. There are going to be opportunities. So we are going, that's our intro. So we're going to take a moment. Oh, here's the thing. Sorry, one more. You know how we often, at the end of our conversations, we throw around a microphone and have catchbox time. We have dialogue right after a message. So what we're going to do is if you'll see on the, on the pages, there's kind of a journal-y page on one side for posts. So we're going to talk about something on a Sunday morning. And then the rest of the week, we invite you to try these practices out and to journal what was interesting, what was challenging, what worked, where did you see God, where were you like, wow, this, was, this brought up so many walls, this is really challenging. Whatever the case is, we're going to start each message for the next 10 weeks with the catchbox time reflecting on last week. Okay? So for those of you that are like, oh, change is hard. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm prepping you right now. So the time that I just spent doing the intro here to this conversation, that time will be spent saying, hey, open up your little booklets or, or think about it. What, what struck you? How can we learn from each other as a community? And then after that 15 minutes or so, then we'll lean into the next one. So we're going to flip the, and then the following week, we'll talk about that first. Fair? Great. Thank you. Okay. So let's take a moment this week to consider our first pathway. And I promise I'm not starting an entire message right now. We just got through half of it. All right, if I tell you be quiet, how does that make you feel? Not great. Not great, right? What if, what if I say, did you hear that? Be quiet. Did you, did you hear that? Now, the end result might be the same with your behavior, right? If, you're supposed, if someone tells you you're supposed to do something. But what's happening internally is if someone says, did you hear that? All of a sudden you realize there might be something that you want to not miss. And so you might pause. And the emotional experience of it all changes. 
okay? Um, there is there's a different sense of why, right? And so, so we desire to move into spaces where silence and solitude characterize us because we want to learn to be attentive because we believe that there might be some things God has for us that we don't want to miss. Um, and it might be something that we're deeply missing in our lives right now. We were talking about the rain and everything, and one of you, um, a couple of years ago, I was talking with you about your season of life, and you were like, you know what I need right now? You said, you know when you forget about a pot, like a, like a plant, for like a couple of... <laughs> I'll tell you later, I'll tell you later what all of our neighbors thought of us when we moved into Delaware in our, in our neighborhood, but... They, they thought, they, they expected that I'd be talking about pot a lot. Um, I'm like, I'm a pastor. Uh, so, man, you guys are horrible. Where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you, have, if you have a pot of a flower, if you have a flower pot on your windowsill that's full of soil, okay, and you forget about it, dies, whatever, the plant dies, it's just been sitting there, but it's still got that soil in it. You know how when you pour water on it after, like, years, what happens? Yeah, yeah, it like, it like, um, yeah, it like, like bubbles up or, or beads up on top, of, on top of the soil, right? Like it doesn't, there's no porousness at all. And you have to just sit there for like sometimes an hour and not overflow it. And just eventually things will soften and, and settle in, okay? And that's what one of you said. You said, I feel like that's my life right now. Like I want to hear from Jesus, but like it's just bouncing off because there's so much other and I just, I want to be able to soften. The journey towards silence and solitude is learning to sit still enough that your soil begins to soften. And we begin to be attentive, right? And, and can we just say, without bemoaning like our technical culture too much, like we are one distracted culture and we are not attentive people. We are so unaware of what's happening within us. We're unaware of the pain that people are carrying around us. It's, we are not particularly attentive on the whole. It's an opportunity. As we consider a life with Jesus that's grounded in practices of silence and solitude, I want you to trust that there are so many things that God will offer to us when we increase our attentiveness that we don't want to miss out on. And that's why we have to do this regularly, to make, to make space for that to happen. Uh, Dallas Willard writes this incredible, and he's another spiritual formation guru. Solitude is the creation of an open, empty space in our lives, by purposefully abstaining from interaction with other human beings so that freed from competing loyalties, we can be found by God. I want you just to think uh, for a moment about the fact that God wants to find you. That, that God wants to find you if you maybe stop moving so fast. If you stop your mind. It's like, it's like we know, we, we believe that God pursues us with God's love. But we rarely think about the fact that that pursuit takes longer the faster that we are running. And when we slow down, we allow ourselves to be found. I love that image, to be found by God. Jesus wanted to be found by God. And if Jesus prioritizes something, it's really important. So we read in the book of Luke that as news about Jesus is spreading more and more, that Jesus feels the need to change his own rhythm, right? So it says Jesus often withdrew 
to lonely places and prayed, I think it's really significant that we notice that Jesus often withdrew those two words. So there's a movement away from everything intense, and it's regular, right? Often withdrew to lonely places. We see it again in the book of Mark. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We're going to talk about rhythms of prayer more directly later today, is just learning to be open to removing ourselves, withdrawing, and being still. And, and there's this, this idea of solitary, Jesus' willingness to be solitary, Jesus' willingness to often withdraw, even though there was so much to be done, is instructive for us. Um, and it wasn't simply like a son of God sort of a practice. This was something Jesus urged his disciples to do as well. So in Mark, 30, or in Mark 6, um, we read this. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. They, meaning the disciples. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000, super busy. Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Come away. I love this. There's a movement away. It says, because so many people are coming and going. I'm sure you've never had a situation where life is busy enough that you don't get a chance to eat. Skip a meal. Don't think about it, right? But this idea, there is movement away from the constant coming and going and movement toward God's rest. What a human moment. It's been a busy day. Didn't get a chance to eat. And Jesus says, yo, I'm inviting you to get away and slow down. I'll give you food. I can multiply it. I just did. And then later they forget. And he's like, did you not learn? Did you not learn? Come on, friends. So as we choose to remove ourselves from the intensity of life, even to take time in our, in our, in our brains, in our minds, and choose stillness, choose so- solitude, choose quietness, we both imitate Jesus and we follow the path that Jesus invites us to. Um, and this is nothing new for us or the historic church. Uh, I, the 16th century uh, mystic, St. John of the Cross, he wrote, God's first language is silence. And he spoke of God hovering wordlessly over the waters in the book of Genesis. The first image that we get is a wordless God. Hovering. Being still watching. Um, and then, of course, uh, the, the brilliant Howard Thurman, African-American theologian, scholar, he wrote very eloquently about how good it is to center down. Center down. Learning to center, center down our lives and be still. Um, and the Psalms bear witness over and over again to God's people receiving the gift of God's presence through things like silence and solitude. And so I think what I want to encourage you to before we get into the practical briefly um, is I want you to see two things that are the real gifts um, that we receive, that the, that the Psalms speak to uh, when, we, when we choose to center down, when we choose to slow down and be still. And one comes from the famous passage in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. When he says restores, that word, um, that word in Hebrew means to return something back to where it was taken from. So uh, all Hebrew words are, are images. So, so this idea, he restores my soul. Like when I lose myself, 
Jesus leads me to stillness and he, he returns me back to myself. He returns me. He makes me whole. When we are fragmented, somebody mentioned that, I think, in prayer, in a really beautiful um, prayer space. Or maybe it was Sabrina at the beginning. I don't know. But it's, it's stuck in my way. Was it you? Yeah, yeah. When we get fragmented, when we get fragmented, Jesus puts us back together beside quiet waters, in stillness. He reminds us of who we are, who he is, and we become whole once again. And so, so that idea of, you know, of, of returning to ourselves, you know, this is, so one of the big points of getting away is, is restoration, right? So over and over when we get stilled, when we, and by the way, all this mindful, mindfulness stuff in the world, it's, it's, just, it's just leading and chasing after the exact same thing, right? Like, like the idea of, hey, we're learning scientifically that when you become mindful, when you empty out your, yourself, and when you're just still, and when you focus on your breathing, and like all of these things, they're really healthy for you. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's been a practice of a whole lot of people for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, I'm not belittling the practice. I think it's brilliant. I think it's even better when we move toward Jesus in the midst of that, because then we don't just sit with emptiness, but we begin to be restored and receive in new ways too. Um, so, so there's there's that gift, and the second gift that we uh, that we see um, is uh, later in the Psalms in Psalm 46. Um, be still and know that I am God. And so the idea of being still, of slowing down, all right, is what? What's the end result? Knowing. Yeah, yeah. Now here's the thing. If be still and know that I am God. Okay, so there's knowledge. Weird. Okay. There's knowledge that happens when we're still. But hold on, you're not really learning anything. Right? You're not learning a bunch of new information when you're still and silent. So this makes us ask, well, what does that mean, know? And that makes us ask the question, well, what's the Hebrew understanding of knowing? Uh, yada, yada, yada. That's, that's the word, yada, for know. Um, and so what it means to know is this deeply intimate relational word. So to know, if I, if I know, I mean, this is where we get Adam and Eve, they, they knew each other, right? Um, there's a deep, intimate connection. It's the same word. Um, God will say, you know nothing of me, even though you do your ritual practices through the, through the um, prophets. He says, so you do all these things, but you don't know me. You seem to know the right practices to do, but it's, it's devoid of relational depth with me. So when we say that being still leads us to knowledge, what we're really talking about is relationship. We're talking about relational connection. So restoration and relationship are the gifts of silence Solitude, stillness, all of these things. This is not rocket science, okay? We used to have a rocket scientist before he moved away, so we always joked around. If you want to talk about rocket science, talk with Tyler. Um, but but I, I love even, even that idea of, of uh, knowledge that the word, um, the, the word of being still means sinking down. Sink down and know that I'm God. Like, sink deep into depths and learn to be aware of me. There's just something about sinking down. It's, I love it. I love it. Um, so, the gifts of silence and solitude are re- restoration and relationship, and that's what's possible. But it has to emerge from a heart that wants to move toward Jesus and a willingness to train a little. Because you know you could be silent without being still, right? 
Like, that's how, right? Mind going crazy, right? You can be silent. You can, you can take a walk and not be still. You can have a cup of tea and not be still, right? Because so many things are happening. So there has to be intentionality that's more than the external action. And you can, you can be alone without experiencing solitude, right? I mean, let's just, let's just be real honest. Technology is not always our friend, right? Like, I just need some time alone. Ah, I need to change out a couple of my fantasy players before 1 o'clock. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is just... I wish I was joking. Um, there is... There, there is this difference. Like, we have to have the heart. The practices mean... I can't say what I want to say. They don't mean, they don't mean much, <laughs> all right? Unless the heart is there to follow Jesus and to desire. There are pathways. So, so as we do this, to say, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to, like, stop doing some stuff for five minutes, but not want to center down, we might miss the gift that, that, that God wants to give us. So we have to choose. We receive the gift by being intentionally attentive. Um, yeah, so twice this week. Let's just say here, if, if you need something, for some of you, you're like, oh, I know how to pursue this. I am already drawn to it. I can't wait. But let's, if, if you need something very specific, I'll invite you at least two times this week, take 10 minutes, all right, and completely draw away. And you can write notes if you want on the left side of your, of your little packet for this week. You draw away from people. Find a way to withdraw somehow from people and technology for 10 minutes. Just breathe deeply for a couple minutes, and simply invite God's presence and peace into that space with you. So simple. This is all we're asking. Don't come at it with the assumption of what you get out of it. Just come to enjoy God's presence and peace. Um, bring no expectations. You might need a blanket. And when I, what I say with a blanket might be very literal. You might need to lay a blanket out in the middle of your room so that you have something special that's out there that helps set it apart. But you also might need a blanket for distractions. And what your, a blanket might mean, and I say this carefully, like some instrumental music or something in the background. A blanket to help create a sacred space. But don't, if it's like music that you love listening to, nah, it's probably not going to help. You're going to be thinking about the music. So, so if there's something that's helpful to become the background, by all means, set out a chair at a certain spot in your yard. Light a candle. Those are blankets. Um, a picture. If you're a visual person, if it's helpful for you to get an image, a simple image to dwell on, do that. And then if, if you are having trouble with thoughts, I invite you to use breath prayers. Okay? The kids outside, um, they are learning today um, this, the, the simple breath prayer of inhaling and saying, be still and know that you are God from Psalm 46. So they're going to be invited in their learning about being still to use a simple breath prayer that reminds them and centers them down. It might be for you, it might be as simple as, Jesus, you are here. Or, thank you, Lord. Or, I'm available. I like that one, because it helps me in my posture. Lord, I'm available. I'm available in this space. And you just breathe it in and out very simply, but you allow that to be there. It might be, I am loved by you. You are good. Something like that. Um, so in, in the midst of this, some things are better experienced than explained. So we just invite you to lean in to practices of silence and solitude. 
It's always been like that with God, where things are better experienced than explained. Um, receive the gift. It might be easy or it might be hard, but you'll get a chance to reflect on it, and maybe, maybe we'll share um, with each other. But God, but don't, don't miss the point. Jesus just longs to give us his presence. Longs to give us his presence. There is such beauty there. Um, and, and we talk a ton about justice and mercy and active compassion and activism in our world in, in the ways of Jesus. This is the foundation for all of that. These two things are not separate. The times of my life that I have slowed down enough to fully be available to God, to receive the peace and the gift of God and love of God, those have been the times that I am the most committed to doing good in the world because I am reminded of God's character. Those are the times that I am most wired to do the hard steps and show up at something or serve in some way or offer that encouragement or give in some new way. Those are the times. It's when I'm practicing this. So, so contemplatives are incredible activists because they are grounded. And it also helps us keep the spirit of Jesus when we do whatever we are called to do without letting other desires or anger or whatever arrogance take over. So this is a beautiful way to begin. I remember in college, I was a couple times when I started to experience, I became a weirdly, as with, you know, my personality probably by now is somewhat frenetic. Um, like I go really fast and have tons of energy. But I actually started with contemplative practices in college um, where I would go away. I was into backpacking, so I would take my backpack and I'd find a shelter along the Appalachian Trail and I'd just sit there, which was so against my nature as a college runner and everything else. Like I just wanted to run really far distances, but instead I would just sit there with my journal for five, six hours, which I still don't know. I think it was a grace of God teaching me that if I was going to survive in the world, I was going to have to learn this <laughs> because it wasn't that hard at first. Um, and then it became harder later when we had kids and then, and then back to being more of a contemplative these days in some ways. But I just remember being so overwhelmed with the moments where I was fully available to God that I could almost hardly express the love that I sensed. Almost hardly, hardly even express it with words. It was so mystical. It was so beautiful. And I've learned that those times don't happen every single time you sit down and say, all right, I'm going to turn off my stuff for five minutes. Let's have a rapturous moment. <laughs> it doesn't always work like that, but it does help us to, to get emptied out just a little bit to begin to return, let God return ourselves to us. And we find that sometimes it does open the door to profound insights and experiences and certainly greater love for those around us. So um, I mentioned earlier the... Uh, the great um, Howard Thurman, and how he used this phrase of centering down, how good it is to center down. And uh, we're going to end uh, our time today with a poem that he wrote um, about this very gift. So I'm going to read it, and, uh, and afterwards you'll be directly invited to the table to share in the body of Christ if you, if you desire. We have an open table. Anyone who desires to continue to move toward the God of love in Jesus, you are absolutely welcome to come. So as I finish reading um, this, this poem that'll, that'll lead us into this space, uh, you can go ahead, actually, our, our servers, go ahead and come on up right now. Um, and, uh, and what we'll do is, um, is we'll, we'll take time right now to just break the bread and um, remember God's goodness. And then after I'm done reading, you'll be invited forward. Uh, so as we reflect 
on all of this and the gift of the presence of God. Um, there you go. Thanks. As we reflect on the gift of the presence of God, that God longs to give us himself or God's self, as we share in communion, it's, an, it's a visible representation of God's longing to give of God's self to us. Okay, so, so the gift of God's presence is made manifest in this symbolic action where Jesus says, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. And he's, he's redefining everything and he's saying, I am giving my spirit to you to live out, so receive it. So everything's always interconnected, right? You know this by now. Everything's interconnected. So when we talk about science and solitude and God giving himself to us, it's matched by this, this journey. So um, when, when we're done with this, uh, with this poem, then the music will play, and you'll be invited to come down the center aisles to the edge here. You'll hear the bread of life given for you or something similar in one of our various traditions. Um, and you can take a piece of bread and dip it, and I'll, I'll invite servers. Why don't you stand right up here on the corner beside each other a little bit, and that way they can come. Yeah, that way they can come and dip the... Perfect. <laughs> um, dip the, you can dip the bread in the wine or the juice if you need a gluten-free option. They're both in uh, single-serving cups right here as well. But, uh, but again, let the gift be the primary thing instead of the action, right? <sighs> okay. Hear these words by Howard Thurman, how good to center down. How good it is to center down, to sit quietly and see oneself pass by. The streets of our minds seethe with endless traffic. Our spirits resound with clashing, with noisy silences. While something deep within hungers and thirsts for the still moment and the resting lull. With full intensity, we seek, ere the quiet passes, a fresh sense of order in our living, a direction, a strong, sure purpose that will structure our confusion and bring meaning in our chaos. We look at ourselves in this waiting moment, the kinds of people we are. The questions persist. What are we doing with our lives? What are the motives that order our days? What is the end of our doings? Where are we trying to go? Where do we put the emphasis and where are our values focused? For what ends do we make sacrifices? Where is my treasure? And what do I love most in life? What do I hate most in life? And to what am I true? Over and over the questions beat in upon the waiting moment. As we listen, floating up through all the jangling echoes of our turbulence, there is a sound of another kind, a deeper note, which only the stillness of the heart makes clear. It moves directly to the core of our being. Our questions are answered, our spirits refreshed, and we move back into the traffic of our daily round with the peace of the eternal in our step. How good it is to center down.